this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Manichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. DMO. 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 Kind of runs all together after a while, after 600 and something episodes. Jay, this is a runoff episode it's a tournament of death i need like crackling uh thunder when i say that i i see visions of jousting there (laughs) this is our october album tournament it's where three rounds of nine are reduced to six picks and then a final round of six we had a lot of interesting picks in the or uh, selections in the october Roundtable should mention that these come to us via digmeoutpodcast.com. If you would like to suggest a 90s album for us to review, you go to digmeoutpodcast.com, you drop it in there. We spoon it out with our spoon. Bing, bang, boom. Goes in the hopper. The hopper being a spreadsheet managed by. We crank the handle. Yep. Little ping pong balls fall out, and uh, one of us wins two billion dollars. Mm. That's how it goes. No, uh, we had here's what we had round one, these are the albums Burning Tree, self titled Mineral, The Power of Failing, Branch Manager, Anything Tribal, Grin Spoon, Better Guide to Better Living, Fu Manchu, The Action is Go, Grotus, Slow Motion Apocalypse, The KLF, The White Room, Fudge Tunnel. Creep Diets, and Junior Brown, Semi-Crazy. Now, out of that group, two moved forward. Fudge Tunnel, Creep Diets, and Burning Trees, self-titled. In the second round, Jay, ooh, we had some, had some spicy meatballs in the second one. One Dove, Morning White Dove, uh, Juna 44, Four great points. Spurge, Tribe Already, Omatic, Dog Years, Dag, Apartment 635, Cheryl Crow's Tuesday Night Music Club, Bell and Sebastian's The Boy with the Arab Strap, and Daisy Chainsaw's Eleven Teen. You got big names, you got little names. (laughs) You mean little in terms of amount of letters? Yes. Yeah minute names uh bell and sebastian and daisy chainsaw were the winners out of that one you would have thought maybe cheryl crow was gonna pull it out you know we haven't talked about show crow we haven't on this pop she was kind of a big deal she was if you were to ask her she'd say hey i'm kind of a big deal (laughs) no she's she's a nice woman uh fun fact uh howlin maggie the band that we talked to to lead singer Happy Chichester many, many years ago. Uh, they were a 90s band. Great album, Honeysuckle Strange. Their guitarist, Andy Harrison, is Cheryl Crow's guitar tech. Wow. He's been that he's been working for her for like over a decade. And uh, you know, 
When she goes on the road, he's there fixing her guitar, making sure it stays in tune. Round it's three, Jay. Work. It's it's honest work. It's hard work, and uh, you got to know how to tune a guitar. If you don't know how to tune a guitar, I would <laughs> I would I would push you away from the guitar tech. Uh, Actually, it seems like a very stressful job. It to be honest with you, doesn't it? It does. The guitars are very finicky. Um, I agree with you. I'm not sure I could take the pressure. Round three. Here's where the real pressure starts, Jay. In the voting. <laughs> Midnight Oils, Earth and Sun and Moon, Tracy Bottoms, The Burdens of Being Upright, Critters Buggin', Host, Chris Cornell's Sweet Euphoria, Butthole Surfers, Independent Worm Saloon, One Dove, Morning Dove White, Seven Year Bitch, Viva Zapata, Morbid Angels Covenant, and is it God's Thumb or Good's Thumb? I don't know how you pronounce that. Self-titled. Good. Well, they weren't good enough to make it to the final round, but Chris Cornell and Tracy Bonham were. Ba-bam! Puns. Uh, they joined Fudge Tunnel, Burning Tree, Bell and Sebastian, and Daisy Chainsaw in our finale, and it was a hell of a finale. It was like neck and neck between Tracy Bonham, Chris Cornell, and Fudge Tunnel for quite a lot of that. But in the final moments, Chris Cornell, he went from the down to the upside. (laughs) To sweet euphoria. To sweet euphoria, because he won 29% of the vote, Fudge Tunnel with 26, Tracy Bonham with 21, Daisy Chainsaw with 13, Bell and Sebastian with 8, Burning Tree with 3. Woof. That was... uh, that was I was really hoping we weren't going to get a tie because that would have just jacked everything up for us actually reviewing this record uh, on time. So thank you for whoever voted at the last minute for Chris Cornell. Uh, we got a lot of votes and we got a lot of comments. So, Jay, this is perfunctory. You know who Chris Cornell is. We've already talked about Soundgarden on this podcast. We've done a whole episode. I don't have to get into the history. But did you buy this record when it came out? I didn't. Um, very well aware of the singles. Uh, I will say up front, I think I was at this point had lost pretty much lost interest in Southern Garden and Chris Cornell. I was it was burnt, I was a little burnt out. I agree with you. Um, this is 99 that this came out, and I I don't even think I listened past the first song when it came out. I was so not interested in any sort of grunge associated acts you know soundgarden yeah. had broken up by this point Allison chains was done um i did like the last couple pearl jam albums but then they i did not like when they in the, the 2000s um i don't even remember the name of the first record in the 2000s but that was where i we like where the delineation of what i like about pearl jam ends yeah is after basically no code or i mean yield i like yield and then after that i i lost interest um I didn't I wasn't really interested in Stone Temple Pilots by this point. Uh it was it was all downhill. You know, I mean, you know, bands are on their course. That's what happens and and was the end of the decade and they and bands had been you know popular for a while and new stuff was coming in. We were listening to different things and I just did not care about Well, I mean, and and rock radio just 
killed Soundgarden for me. <laughs> I mean, at least the Down in the Upside era was just every, it felt like every song, every other song on the radio was a single from that record. Yep. By the time 99 rolled around, that was just burned. Yeah, you were hearing like a rotation of like at least five to seven Soundgarden songs. Yeah. uh, Which was a lot. Yeah. So let's get into some comments. Richard Waterman enthusiastically supported Euphoria Morning. Darren Leach said, never heard of Daisy Chainsaw before, but I'm loving the guitars. The singer style may be, may not be for everyone though. Also, am I the only one who thinks the Chris Cornell album, Chris Cornell, Cornell's solo album is quite lackluster. Richard Waterman did not like that. Um, Scott Witt said, have to ride the fudge tunnel all the way. Uh, and James Stelter said, put fudge tunnel on top. Gavin said, come on, fudge tunnel. It was a lot of fudge tunnel support. Mm. Kyle Bittner said, going with Chris Cornell, the vocal range alone puts this album in a category unto itself. Justin Moore, first time pick and excited to see one of my favorites from the 90s. Wonderful, haunting vocal melodies from a legendary voice. Chris has my vote. Bill Davidson went with Tracy Bonham. I had forgotten about Mother Mother, a very 90s song and a very 90s album. Stephen John, I'm bailing on Fudge Tunnel in the 11th hour just to tie it up let's make it interesting it didn't work and then uh willie dylan said i voted for tracy bonham since that's what i suggested it's pretty good if you look at uh 90s rock though i wouldn't mind hearing about the chris cornell album since i didn't think i don't think i've listened to it yet so i was actually looking he had a number of solo albums there was one that was called scream which features the billy jean cover on it uh that came out in like the mid 2000s yeah. And I don't think that and then there was also um Carry On. So the Carry On came out in 2007, Scream came out in 2009, Higher Truth came out in 2015 and then the posthumous album No One Sings Like You Anymore Volume 1 came out in 2002. Um so this was recorded Euphoria Morning, I'm speaking of, was recorded in between Soundgarden and then him joining Audio Slave. The first Audio Slave album was in 2002. Mm. And this was released uh, fall of 99, September, via Interscope. Interesting aspect of this record is it was recorded with Natasha Schneider and Alan Johannes, Elaine Johannes, of Eleven. And they like co-wrote the songs with him on one of the tracks. They helped write the lyrics. And then the drummer was Josh Freeze. Um, they bring for most of the record. Um, a couple other drummer. Matt Cameron plays drums on one song. Um, Bill Riflin, who played with like Ministry and KMFDM. He plays drums on one of the tracks. Uh, Victor Indrizio, who's played, who's a, I guess, a session drummer. He's also worked with Scott Weiland. Wait a minute. Did he work on Scott Weiland's solo album from the 90s? Oh, my. <laughs> that would be, that would be interesting. He did. 
<laughs> this son of a bitch made his way all through all the solo albums from from lead singers in the 90s look at that uh yeah he played on 12 bar blues um among other things he also played drums on um like queens of the stone age songs and depeche mode and willie nelson michelle marianne faithful so he's got a big resume so yeah a session drummer and then interesting jason faulkner plays bass on track five when i'm down didn't know that but we have a we have a uh you know another faulkner connection as they happen and then uh chris cornell along with uh Elaine and uh, Natasha produced the record. It made it to number 18 on the Billboard 200 in the US and number 14 on the Canadian Billboard. Um, and it was re-released in the 2000s, at, I think like 2015 or so. Um, I think that's when it was. Um, but it got, a, it got a remaster re-release. I think on the CD version, you get an alternate version of can't change me and then sun shower which is on the single soundtrack which i was confused for a long time and i thought sun shower was from this album but it's not that's sort of the first time we hear cornell alone Hmm. but it's not on this album um let's get into it jay tell me one thing you liked about euphoria morning by chris cornell uh, I think this is a really strong headphone album. And I think that's because of Alan Johannes and Natasha Schneider. Uh, I really had forgotten. Um, I know I know we briefly talked about it in the interview we did with uh, Alan Johannes years ago that they helped make this record, I think recorded at the studio. Um, but I hadn't really spent that much time with it and going back into it. Uh, I had forgotten that, but as soon as I put it on and started to listen to some of the guitar parts and the phrasings and then some really interesting organ and key stuff going on, I started to, it started to, to trigger my memory. Like, oh, wow, this sounds familiar. Okay. Yeah. Didn't it? Oh yeah. Alan Johannes played. And then he sort of pretty quickly came back to me and looked at the liner notes and everything. And put it all together. So I really enjoyed uh in headphones you can really pull apart all of the interesting things they're doing. There's a lot of textures, there's a lot of unusual tones and in instrumentation or at least effects that make guitar sound uh unusual. Uh I don't think I necessarily picked that up on uh when I heard the singles and like just a cursory listens. But focusing on the record, uh, in particular with headphones on, it, it really um, is a really interesting produce from a production standpoint. And also just they complement, I mean, Chris Cornell has, I think the best song to think about is Black Hole Sun. When he writes songs, take that song, for example, it's deceptively complicated. If you try to play that song, it, I think most people hear that song. It's like, oh yeah, it's a mid, it's a '90s alt rock ballad song. Like, okay, yeah, I remember that. 
if you actually try to play that song, <laughs> it, it is not easy to play. It is no, very it's weird. weird chords. It is very strange mm-hmm. progressions and changes that are on the surface kind of seemingly subtle, but once you pick up on it and you start listening to it, it's very odd. And I think they play well with that because then they layer in these also like really odd choices for notes and accompaniment with it. So there is, I think the more you listen to this record and and really pay attention to it and focus on it, there's a lot going on here. That's very cool. Uh, I think the other thing that works about it for me is it's really a showcase for Chris Cornell's voice. Uh, it always blows my mind to think that, you know, he didn't start off as a singer <laughs> in Soundgarden and to listen to this guy sing, you're like, what the fuck? Like, how, how does somebody go from like not even thinking of themselves as a singer to being able to sing this well? It is pretty crazy. So a lot of the, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the material is showcases for him vocally, some more than others. I think a song like Seal Rain um, is a really good example of that. Um, Child is another example of it. when i'm down the songs that are a little bit sparser there's more space in them lesser singers would not be able to carry those songs they wouldn't be interesting um honestly the chorus of steel rain uh a lot of other singers wouldn't even be able to sing (laughs) like it that song in particular that could be a scorpion song (laughs) <laughs> when you listen to that chorus <laughs> yes uh so it's it's i enjoyed that uh just hearing him you know belt it out over you know material that's um a mid-tempo-y layer textured sometimes very slow or dirgy but his voice is so captivating that it just you know, it's a force unto itself in those songs. So uh, that was another obviously big thing for me. And the last thing is just personally, there's some callbacks here to the, to some, the temple, of the dog material for me mm-hmm. uh, that I really liked. Like when I'm down, for example, has shades of all night thing. Uh, I can hear that those two songs being almost you no know, partner songs or uh, siblings. So I enjoyed that because that era of of um of his writing, his him as an artist, the combination with the guys from Pearl Jam, you know, was just an interesting, unique thing that 
isn't wasn't ever going to happen again so there's kind of this record just gives you like little pieces and parts of that that um, i enjoyed what worked for you well i'm glad you mentioned when i'm down because i think that's probably my favorite song on this record i mean it is just such a showcase for what he can do as a vocalist and i i'm actually happy we got to this because i never really gave this a fair shot when it came out because i was so over everybody and everything from this era by 99 that listening to it now with completely fresh ears first of all i'm struck by how interesting the production is with natasha and elaine like there are weird guitar parts that have very blatant flange on them that sound like they belong on a completely different record but somehow he integrates them into this so that they're not the at the forefront they're just sort of like these weird things happening in in the stereo spectrum and but you know cornell's voice is so powerful in the middle that you are focused on that but then there's like these weird pops of things happening here and there um and it's such a great you're right it's a headphones record in that respect because you can hear things in 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 the field that even on the, like a, a song like Wave Goodbye, which apparently was written about Jeff Buckley, um, they were friends, mm. and that could be very traditional. I mean, that could have you, that could have been a a Soundgarden song in the vein of Fell on Black Days or something like that if you amped it up a little bit, but putting it in the hands of the folks from Eleven gives it this different spin. And makes it wholly unique to to this record i mean it's a showcase for obviously chris cornell i mean it's his debut solo record but it just shows how powerful he was as a vocalist there's just i think some people get caught up in comparing him to you know the other vocalists of the time but really he did not have a any any competition no um at least i know Lane Staley was an interesting vocalist. He had a very interesting ear for melody along with Jerry Cantrell. They had great harmonies, but that was a wholly unique thing to them. And, you know, what Eddie Vedder and and Kurt Cobain did then was just, it was a different thing. Whereas Cornell getting to break out of like the alternative hard rock metal end and just completely follow his muse on on these songs um it's just fascinating to hear him playing with like a little bit of like 60s psychedelic music here and there 
and um you know stuff gets folky and bluesy and i mean in some ways it's like a parallel to what mark lanigan would do you know getting away from like the big rock sound of screaming trees and then doing these solo records i, I wonder if you know if soundgarden maybe would have lasted longer in that original incarnation if chris cornell had made a solo record earlier just to get it out of his system mm. you know after super unknown say hey i'm gonna make the solo record we'll come back and do down the upside which down the upside is fine but it's not as inspired as super unknown or bad butterfinger right you can kind of hear him moving away from what they were at yep. certain tra- like it's a very you get songs like rhinosaur which sound exactly like what Soundgarden sounds like and then you get burden in my hand this piano driven song yeah that that could have been on this record yeah very easily yep. a lot sure. of that stuff so yeah i it was nice to listen to this 20 so years later and be like oh i, I definitely missed a lot yeah that's an interesting point because you know i felt conflicted with soundgarden at that time um I liked the first time I heard like fell on black days. I was like, Oh wow, this is a really cool direction. And, but they kept going down that path. And by the time, you know, at the end of the down the upside cycle, uh, it just lost the, I don't know. It lost the fire. Like it just didn't have that weird out of control, you know, Mm -hmm. slightly off kilter, fire to it and <clears throat> when i listen to this record it feels like very much a continuation of that direction and to your point i wonder if you know he would have done this two records earlier had an outlet for these types of songs which are good there's nothing i mean those down the upside right. songs are they're good they're gr- some of them are great some of these songs are great they're just not Soundgarden to me like and I wonder if it would have meant I wouldn't have got it would have kept Soundgarden as special, like that right. very specific sound. And uh, he would have had an outlet to go do this stuff, which is great too. And the two could have maybe coexisted differently as opposed to trying to the way it went. So that's an interesting point. One thing I wanted to follow up on about the songwriting because i was paying attention more since there was you know soundgarden was so complex in some of their songs they would jump around with time signatures and tempo changes and stuff and it was always like a workout and i was like curious you know when you're on your own and you can just strum four chords do you do that and he really doesn't i mean some of these songs like preaching the end of the world i listen to that song over and over again there's like over 20 chord changes in that song It is, it's a, a complex song when it comes to all that. I've got a photograph, I'll send it off today. You will see that I am perfectly sane. Not for a lifetime or forever and a day. Cause we know now that just won't be. Case. So come in now, it's all right. 
Like you think about like like smells like Teen Spirit. There might be eight total chords in yeah. that whole song. I mean, it's four power chords. The verses don't have chords. Yeah. <laughs> then they go back to those power chords again, and then there's a slightly different bridge, but it's yeah. essentially four chords for for most of that song, which you know was the flavor of the time. You'd play four chords really loud, then yeah. the bass would carry your verse, and then you bring the chords back for the chorus. <clears throat> and rightfully so, he takes that complexity that he used in Soundgarden, you know, which we have interpreted often that being a drummer, you push yourself rhythmically, but also I think you push yourself dynamically and changing chords more rapidly and using more chords is definitely a part of dynamics. And um, even on the stuff that's slower, like just the voicings of the chords are not traditional in a lot of ways. Like be curious. I haven't looked up the guitar tablature for this, but I'd be curious to know like if if this is even like tuned in standard tuning or if there's yep. some alternate tune like can't change me sounds like definitely could be an alternate tuning. Um and there's a number of songs throughout the record where oh this is like you know a dad gad tuning if you play guitar you know what that is or you know some sort of open tuning for us for uh doing stuff which I never messed around with, but I know that's like a Keith Richards thing is Keith Richards used a lot of open tuning. So I, that was another aspect. It was just appreciating Chris Cornell's, you know, obviously he has a amazing ear for melody and a beautiful and a amazing voice, but also just like his willingness to push himself as yeah. a guitarist and songwriter is just, it's pretty amazing. Cause he could have easily just had a drum machine and had four chords and, Yep. Take that easy route. That was very in vogue at the time, too. Yeah. He could have very well done that. Or pissed around with like a lot of experimental stuff. Yep. Like the Scott Weiland solo album is good, but there's a lot of like junk that happens on solo records, you know, sometimes in Scott's, sometimes in some other folks where they they feel like they can be goofy. And uh, I mean, I'd be curious if this had come out in like 95 rather than 99, I bet this would have been gigantic. Yep. So is there anything on this record that doesn't work for you? Yes. So we started, I started off talking about black hole sun. I think you are hearing the same thing I'm hearing in this on the surface seemingly simple songs but the minute you start to really focus on them you realize like oh my god these are incredibly complicated like tons of chord changes all kinds of weird voicings which i enjoyed when i focus on the record have headphones on and i'm paying like paying very close attention when i'm not paying close attention and it's just on i feel like i'm listening to 12 versions of black hole sun like I'm just kind of stuck in that that dirgy mode in the same kind of idea over and over again. Yeah. That's it's it feels unfair because the minute you pay attention, you realize like, okay, there's more than that. But I'm trying to be honest in terms of like why I think this record never connected with me in the first place is for that reason. It just is lacking. I don't know if variety is the right word. I don't know if it's some muscle. It's lacking something. Uh, there's a, and it's very easy to write it off as a little mediocre. 
it's samey in yeah. in a very weird way because these songs are very different but i they feel like they're all at the same tempo yeah which is mid tempo to slow. Is, is yes tempo is a problem that's why i think i was more drawn into even the songs that got more sparse because mm-hmm. it was at least different enough and the, the drums were gone and I just felt like, okay, now I'm in a different space and like I can focus on different things. Where's the other, um, so Sweet Before is a great example of that. Verse, you know, the first half of the record, which um, they're, they're strong songs, but they're all this kind of the same tempo with the same production. And I just, nothing nothing in particular really jumps out and grabs you by the throat and it's weird because he's such an incredible singer and when you listen to the performance it's there but there's something about like it doesn't pop i I hate saying that that's a dumb thing to say but like there's something missing yeah uh a good example is disappearing one where it feels like it's building up to this yeah. amazing chorus and it gets there but like it's just not memorable yeah but there's a really cool organ happening in that song yeah there is yeah So I like that song musically. I know. Because when like I break hearing... it down, I'm like, oh, that's super cool. And that's super cool. But then when I don't break it down and just sit back and just let the song play and like, I'm like, eh. <laughs> it's weird. It needed, um, it needed like one kind of noisy up-tempo song or some, something to just break up the monotony. I would have been happy with like a minute long, like stupid jam yeah, (laughs) in the middle of the record. I mean, and I hate to say it, but maybe, maybe some big beefy guitar somewhere would be good. You know, it's, it's a very layered guitar record when there's a distortion, it's more of like a small guitar fuzz or odd effect. There are no, you know, Kim fail moments on this record. Um, Obviously, because he's not on the record. Right. I felt myself missing that. Yeah, I think also the bigness of his voice has to be balanced with quiet moments. And I think like a song like When I'm Down, that's where it works well. And if you don't get those quiet moments in some of the songs, it just sort of washes over you. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah it's it's a weird record in that in that sense because i love listening to him sing yeah even if i don't always think that this is that consistently good like and knowing that you know it's weird because there's uh, you know we mentioned sun shower that was on the single soundtrack there's also a single or a, a song that he did for it was a couple years later for casino royale yeah um called you know my name it's a really good song which he just like was off like do you want to write a song for the soundtrack yeah i'll write a song for the soundtrack oh it's going to be the op- song for the opening credits like that's a big deal and he comes right. up with a, a really catchy good song and it just needed like just needed like can't change me is fine but it's sort of like the second single or the the single before the really big single i just needed like a little bit like one of these songs to just like be killer and there are a lot of good songs, but it's not like one killer single song. Yep. So that's that's what I struggled with. Um, and it came up in the comments, too. I mean, some people did not find this to be all that special. And when I looked around the internet, because I was like curious, what were the reviews at, at the time? Um, if you were to go to like Rate Your Music... It only has a 3.4 out of 5, which is, you know, what is that, like a B minus, C plus, somewhere in there. So, I think it's worth, let's get into our final ratings here, before I jump the gun on that. Is this going to be a worthy album, a better EP, or a decent single for you? I think it's a worthy album. Um, GSB from the um, the production standpoint, and it, it requires more focus than I'd like. But when you give it some focus, there's so much cool stuff on here uh, from from mostly from Alan Johannes and uh, Natasha musically, and then you know the vocals are stellar on every single song. So I'm going to go with a worthy album. Uh, There's flaws in it. I don't think it's perfect. I think it's definitely worth giving a listen. And, you know, in particular, a deep listen to, to hearing how, you know, they're really right on the surface writing seemingly simple songs that are not simple um and i think there's something that you get back from that you know once you start to analyze that and hear it listen to it 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 can be inspiring so um i am at a worthy album i ended up liking i think songs that i didn't expect to like like steel rain moon child when i'm down those are songs that like weren't singles i don't remember ever hearing or spending much time with before but I think um, it did the best job of showcasing uh, Chris's talent. Where'd you land? I agree with you. I think for his performance alone, it's a worthy record. I, I think that if you are already in the 
I like Chris Cornell's voice camp and you maybe only know Soundgarden and Temple of the Dog, like you should definitely listen to this. Um, from what I remember, this is the best of all of his solo, solo material. Um, I do think that there are some weak points. Yeah. But sure. I don't think they overshadow just what he's doing from as a vocalist and what we lost with him not being here anymore. So, you know, that's enough to give this record a, a a full attentive listen, throw on some headphones and also just to appreciate the, the really interesting production job that, uh, Elaine Johannes and Natasha Schneider did because it's, this is a major label artist with a, you know, major label budget coming off a big band that you know they sold records they sold a lot of records so it's not like there weren't pressures on and and expectations on this record yeah for it to do something even though it was 99 and you know it wasn't in vogue anymore but i could totally see them like looking at bands like you know coldplay is just putting out their first stuff Travis has a hit with the man who like that singer songwritery band sound acoustic guitars were like, even though there was the whole new metal thing happening, there was also this like post Brit pop British. There was a lot happening at that time. Yeah. I was thinking about what we were talking about, like why we probably weren't into this. And I was into so much different stuff. Right. Like those bands you're talking about, was starting to get into like stoner rock was starting to get into. I was deeply into action rock. I was into emo. I was into some like screamy hardcore stuff. Like I was just all over the map at this point, anything that was like not 90 sounding. I wasn't right. Basically. Mm-hmm. Same, same as, same as that. Um, but I never got into audio slave. That was no, never my jam. So I never I'm kind of curious if maybe I'll appreciate it more now than I did then in the same way that I couldn't appreciate this record. Yeah. I don't know. I guess if when we start doing 2000s uh episodes yeah. <laughs> we'll find I honestly we'll find I honestly forget that that band even existed. They were a big deal and like so often, was Velvet Revolver and I yeah. like never listened to a full Velvet Revolver album. Yeah. It was such a weird time you're like Scott Wyland and slash yeah and what is happening what is happening so strange i have to remind i i, I just remember recently maybe even when i saw we were going to review this record started to think about like wait was chris cornell in a band with the guys from rage against the machine was that was that a thing or am i thinking about a different singer nope I, I I heard Mitch Malloy was going to be the singer, but he just didn't work out. <laughs> he came in and just did a <laughs> did a cover of Panama. He did that, and he did a Billy Billy Squire song. It didn't go over well. <laughs> <laughs> did the Stroke? They didn't What's care for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are happy that we got to talk about some chris cornell and it's because of our uh folks who voted at patreon and you can vote just like them every month in our album review tournaments 
27 albums enter, one album leaves. And those albums come to us through digmeoutpodcast.com. That's where you go to suggest an album. It's also where you go to sign up for our weekly newsletter called The Box. Two new reviews of albums. Music uh, is what we cover, but we also read books about music, watch TV shows, documentaries, that kind of stuff. So occasionally we'll do those as well. Uh, But you sign up for it at digmeoutpodcast.com and you can read it at Patreon as well, which you can sign up for uh, just a couple bucks a month. And if you like what you heard, Apple Podcasts is where you go to leave some positive feedback. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.